it's a wild park. It has large mammals, <laughs> bears, bison, wolves. And I think if you hike in Yellowstone, you need to be extra careful of the wildlife. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're talking about one of our absolute favorite national parks, Yellowstone, which also happens to be our country's very first national park. And did you know it's one of the largest? I did. It has over 2.2 million acres. And there's so much to see and do while visiting the park, it's hard to know where to get started. It is. So today we'll share our favorite areas in the park, our favorite places to stay, and tips on the best time of year to visit. Plus, we talk about some of the wildlife you might encounter, especially the bears and the bison. I like bears and bison. I know you do. (laughs) But before we dive into our Yellowstone recommendations... We discuss why Karen wants to change your name. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the episode, we'll answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment. Episode number 15. 1515. Who would have ever thought we'd make it this far? <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> or me. <laughs> So just a general announcement we need to make off the bat. We will be taking a little break, a little summer vacation for the month of August. So this will be our last podcast for a very short period of time. But all 15 episodes will be out there so people can catch up. They can binge listen. And we're not going to be gone for very long. Well, It's probably three sessions that we'll miss. So we've been doing every other Thursday. Yeah. It's not that long. No, we'll be back sometime in September and with some new stories to tell, hopefully. We had originally thought we would take a break in August because we had so many trips planned. And one of them, for all of you who listened to our Chilkoot hike episode up in Alaska, we had mentioned that we were hopefully going back to try it again this year. And unfortunately, Parks Canada canceled our permits. So we're not going to do that. No, we will not be going up to Alaska, unfortunately. We're putting it on the list for next summer. Hopefully we'll do that. But so in place of that, we're going to be doing some backpacking. uh, We think we are. (laughs) (laughs) That's the plan now. (laughs) We're we're hour by hour. That's true. We just do whatever we Mm -hmm. can until people stop us. Yeah. Anyway, August for us is hopefully a break and hopefully a lot of backpacking in the mountains. And maybe when we come back in September with uh, podcast episode number 16, maybe I'll have a new name. This whole Karen <laughs> thing has started to blow up. I, I'm not going to say that you're, you are the reason why the name Karen has, has kind of turned south. <laughs> well, I would hope it's not me. <laughs> But I would hope not. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. In you, case anyone doesn't know what we are referring to, because most of this is taking place on social media, and I know not everyone is on social media, but 
For the past year or so, the name Karen is referred to any annoying, entitled, middle-aged, <laughs> blonde woman. <laughs> Stop looking okay, at me okay. like that. Are you I'm nodding just your gonna head? I'm not talk the rest of the episode. <laughs> Nothing good would come from me commenting right now. So whenever a woman would do something like that, they would call her a Karen, uh, which w- it started out kind of funny and amusing. And people used to send me all these memes all the time and jokes and things like that. And I thought it was funny. And then unfortunately, lately, it's also taken on more of a racist overtone. And now Karen is not only annoying and entitled, but she's also racist. So that that's a little it, it stopped being funny. Right. So what uh, do you have any? (laughs) Yes, I'm looking for a new name. (laughs) I have a whole list of names. I'll have to get that notebook out that I've I've accumulated over the last 38 years. But just in case you had any ideas of your own. I do have some ideas. And also feel free. uh, You know, we'll take any suggestions because we'll be we'll be thinking about this for the next uh, six weeks or so. But my idea is this. So when I was in high school, some people used to sort of as a nickname, call me Carrie for instead of Karen. But see, I like that spelled with a K, not a C. So like I would spell it K-E-R-R-Y, which is the Irish Carrie. Right. Carrie, as, uh-huh. as in Carrie Gold Butter, which is what, just <laughs> <laughs> why I like that option. Of course, you would like it because it has to do with butter. Right. Everything's better with butter on it. If you could be Carrie... Carrie Gold. It, it would have to be Carrie Gold. Is it going to be Carrie Gold Smith? Or are you going to change your last name also to No, I would Gold? stay Smith since we're married. Carrie, Carrie Gold Smith. Carrie K- Gold. So Gold K- is Gold. now my middle name. Yeah. K- Carrie Gold Smith. How about Butta? <laughs> <laughs> B-U-T-T-A. I don't like any of your ideas. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start calling you Butta. Butta. Yep. All right. Uh, that's even worse than Karen. Well, so yeah, maybe maybe you'll have a new name, and mm-hmm. we'll are we going to have to change everything there? It's going to be instead of it, Matt and Karen, it's going to be Matt and Butta, MattandButta.com. <laughs> it's not going to be. And are you saying Butta with an A? Yeah, Butta. Yeah, <laughs> we have to change the covers of our books. Is that what we're going to do? Uh, no, because it's never going to be Butta, but it might be Carrie. So we'll see. Carrie Gold. Mm-hmm. Or maybe something will happen in the next six weeks and all of a sudden Karen will become this amazing name People to have. People will start to realize what an <laughs> incredible person Karen is. And they'll say, oh, no. Uh-huh. Now Karen's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it'll turn. It'll turn around. And by the time we come back. I think everyone will be naming their new babies their Karen. Kid. Their yeah, new kids. A lot, lot, lot of babies named Karen these days. <laughs> that name died out, I think, in like 1970. I'm not sure there's anyone younger than the age of 40 who has the name Karen. But anyway. Okay, so we appreciate everyone who's been listening to all of our podcast episodes. We've had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, we will see all of you back in September sometime with Matt and Carrie Gold. <laughs> <laughs> M and D, Matt and Butta. <laughs> Today's episode is about one of our absolute favorite parks in the entire national park system, Yellowstone National Park. And the reason we decided to talk about 
our favorite things in Yellowstone today is because we have had in the last month, we've probably had a dozen people email us asking us, what should they do when they go to Yellowstone? What are the what are the high points? What do we love? And we don't really think of our work, whether it's our books or podcasts or a blog post, as being a guide because we don't we don't put ourselves out there as having done everything. Right. We just what we're trying to do is is tell people the things we did and what our experience was, and that that helps them decide if they want to do that thing or get some tips. So we we want to make sure people don't think this is this is a complete overview of Yellowstone because we still haven't done everything in Yellowstone, but we can tell you what we've done, mm-hmm. what we like, and maybe there's some tips or some ideas that you can get from hearing about our experience. Right. And we know, we totally get that when people take their vacation, whether it's one week or two weeks, you want to see the most that you can see and you don't want to miss something great. And then, you know, you get back home and and you realize you didn't see something you wish you would have. So we totally understand where people are coming from when they ask us, you know, these questions about the parks. What should they see and what should they do? So today we're going to be covering Yellowstone. Our first national park. Not, in, o- not, not only the U.S. first national park, the first national park in the world. I know, in the entire world. In 1872. Now, we should say that, of course, people have lived there for over 11,000 years in that area, but it didn't become a a national park until 1872. And one of the cool things about Yellowstone is it was never really tamed. In other words, it wasn't settled, and then later people thought this should become a national park. When you go to Yellowstone, you're seeing how it has been for centuries, right? Right. And so that's I think that's one of the cool things. After it became a national park, uh, people didn't actually start going to the park until the completion of the Northern Pacific Railroad, which was in 1883. And then tourism just kind of exploded. People had an easy way to get there. Now, the issue with this was that the National Park Service wasn't created until 1916. So there was no one to protect the park for many, many decades. So they sent the army in. They did. To manage the park, to protect the resources, the animals, and I, I'm sure it was a trying time for them. Mm-hmm. They, I doubt that they had the, the kind of staff to manage this huge park and you know keep poachers out and people from cutting timber down and things like that. But they did the best they could. Yeah, I guess the park was really kind of in dire straits at that point. Because as you said, there was timber cutting and grazing and poaching of the animals. And I guess developers were setting up camps for tourists near the hot springs, and people were actually bathing and doing their laundry in the hot springs. Uh, There there was graffiti, if you can believe it, all the way back in the 1800s. There There was graffiti on some of the hot springs. And so, yeah, so the Army basically stepped in and patrolled and protected the park for, what, like 32 years. The things that people were doing around the hot springs, it's not only surprising that that people were doing that and messing them up, right, like ruining the thermal features, but that's a dangerous thing to do. Oh, I know. I mean, today there are people who sometimes wander off the boardwalks and want to get closer to hot springs, and people have just fallen in and died. 
So I can't imagine that that's, that was pretty dangerous to just be going out and walking amongst those hot springs. Oh, I know. And those, that was obviously before they built the boardwalks that people walk on and all kinds of things. But yeah, let's talk about the thermal features for a minute, because I think that's one of the things that Yellowstone is the most famous for. Right. Well, it is the site, I believe this is accurate, of the world's largest caldera. So the caldera mm-hmm. is the footprint of a volcanic explosion. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, there are some other m- massive ones in the world, but I, I believe Yellowstone is the largest. It's matter of fact, it's so big that as you're driving through the park, you can't really tell where the caldera begins and where it ends. It, you have to look at a map you know, from space mm-hmm. to kind of see the, the footprint of, of the volcanic caldera. Mm-hmm. And then in that area then is all the geysers and the mud pots and the hot springs. And, and that's why there's such a large concentration of these thermal features. It's the, it's the largest collection of thermal features in the world because it's inside this this footprint of this massive volcano. Mm-hmm. I read that the planet has fewer than a thousand geysers and half of them are in Yellowstone. Yeah. So if you're a geyser fan, yeah. that's, <laughs> Check it out. that's where you want to go. <laughs> so most of the park, so it's a big park. It's 2.2 million acres. And most of the park is in the state of Wyoming. Although a little bit, little edge pieces are also in Montana and Idaho. There's five entrances right. that you can go into the park. Um, right. So there's a north entrance from the town of Gardner. There is the northeast entrance outside the town of Cook City. There's the east entrance. There's the south entrance and the west entrance. Right. And mm-hmm. all of those, I think that west entrance where the town of West Yellowstone is, that's probably the the most built up one. Mm-hmm. A lot of hotels and, and facilities there. but um, And it seems like that entrance gate is the largest as right. far as, you know, lanes of traffic. And yeah, yeah, I think most people come in from West Yellowstone. Now, we usually come in from the north, but we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. When you look at the map of Yellowstone, there is the Grand Loop Road in the center, and it's sort of shaped in a figure eight. The Grand Loop Road has about 142 miles to it. Um, and then those, of course, connect to all five entrances. And those roads will show you the variety of landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's parts that go up in the mountains. There's parts that are treed. Some that go past all these thermal features. So you're seeing steam and interesting things along along the road. And anywhere in the park, you could see pretty cool wildlife. Oh, I know. It's amazing. Let's talk about the best times to go and not to go. Well, it's fully accessible from about late May to late October. Meaning all the roads are open. Yeah, all Mm -hmm. the roads are open. Now, from time to time, they could close those roads for snowstorms. Mm -hmm. Or Um, construction. Right. That happens as as well. But obviously, that area, it's mountainous. It's at elevation. It has... uh, Mm-hmm. Pretty powerful winters, so we get a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. And, um, but but that's that's still a, a great time to go too. Deep winter, it's a such a cool park. We've been there three times, three times in, in the winter. That's actually our favorite time to go because the crowds are so much less. Now, if you go in the winter time, 
The only entrance that's open to vehicles is the north entrance out of Gardner. So you can go to the Mammoth Hot Springs area, and then the road is open all the way to the northeast entrance to Cook City. So you can spend time in Lamar Valley, but that's the only part of the park that you can drive to. In the winter, you can arrange for snowmobile trips and snow coach trips with commercial licensed guides. They can take you to Old Faithful. They can take you to the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. So that's another option too. You can get to other areas of the park with a guide. Now we should say that northeast part of the park, you can take that road all the way to Cook City, but that highway's closed oh, at Cook City. So that, that Cook City is a dead end in the mm-hmm. winter. Uh, that Beartooth Highway is, I think it's just too big of a challenge for them to to keep clear of snow. So other times of the year, we have been there in May. We went once on Memorial Day weekend, and we got caught in a huge snowstorm, and they closed many of the roads. We were trying to get down to Grand Teton, and it was, it was a bit of a challenge. So even in May, in fact, it snows even in June. <laughs> Springtime can be iffy. Summertime can be extremely crowded. Oh, yeah. I would say the... Absolute best time to go would be September and October. And if you're there during crowds, one of the things you can do, there are a couple of roads like the Lamar Valley. There's so much space there that you can always find a pullout Mm -hmm. where you can park, just stand by your car. You can walk a little bit into the park. So particularly now, if people are thinking about social distancing, it's still a park you can go to if there are a lot of people, and find a place to certainly to be more than six feet away from people and enjoy the the scenery. And if you do decide to go in the winter, it varies so much because we've been there in the winter and it will go snowshoeing. And we've been there when it's been 25 degrees and, and actually quite pleasant. And then we've We've read that the lowest recorded temperature in Yellowstone in the winter is minus 66 degrees. <laughs> so it can get it cold. Can get cold. <laughs> I remember being there when it was minus 20. Uh-huh. And I went out to the car. We had a bunch of bottles of water in the car. And this is kind of a fun thing. If they just sit there perfectly still, it's still liquid. But as soon as you move them, they instantly freeze up. So I know you were doing that like it was a party trick. You were like, fun, "Show me fun <laughs> thing." Well, I think we had this. forty-eight <laughs> bottles of water, and I was making them all freeze. <laughs> now, in addition to the thermal features that Yellowstone has, I think the other thing that people love—I know we love—to uh, go to Yellowstone to see would be the wildlife, the incredible wildlife that lives in this park, particularly. The bison. Mm-hmm. Bison are probably the easier of the the big mammals to see because right. there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, particularly in the Lamar Valley up in the northeast, you'll see them off in the distance and it's like pepper on a – salt and pepper on the side of a landscape. They're teeny tiny dots. And then – Eventually, they kind of meander over to the road where you are, and you realize these are 2,000-pound animals. They're huge. They are massive. 
They are massive. Now, Yellowstone has about 5,000 bison. And of course, we talked about them quite a bit in our podcast episode that was the Great American Bison Road Trip, because Yellowstone is one of the absolute best places to see bison. And of course, as we mentioned, it has the largest genetically pure, free-ranging herd in the country. Definitely the bison are at the top of the list. I think another another animal that people are thrilled to see are the wolves. Right. We have seen wolves in the wintertime in particular. You know, the wolves, they're searching for food just mm-hmm. like everyone else in the park. And when there's a kill, uh, whether it's bison kill or deer kill, there are times when we've we've been driving through the park and gone to a pullout and you can see the wolves feeding on a kill, maybe 100 to 300 yards off the road. And reintroducing the wolves to Yellowstone is an incredible success story. In the 1920s, they had been hunted to the point of extinction in the park. And then in 1995, they were reintroduced, which was pretty controversial at the time. The nearby ranchers were afraid that the wolves would leave the boundaries of the park and attack their livestock. And so they were uh, against the reintroduction of the wolves. But nonetheless, the park brought in eight gray wolves from Jasper National Park in Canada. And by the end of the next year, they had 31 gray wolves in the park. Now there's there's about 100? Yeah, there's about 100. There are eight packs that they know of. Yeah. So it's a success story for the wolves. Well, <laughs> not, not so much for the, for the other mammals they eat. Well, what I was reading was that they were originally afraid that the wolves would decimate the elk population. But what really happened was that the wolves started picking off, if you will, the sick and the old. And they actually, you know, it, it's, a, it's a chain of events, right? So the elk were eating a lot of the trees that the beavers needed. And so then the beavers were struggling. And so reintroducing the wolves has put things back as it was, as it should have been in kind of the circle of life. And so the, the park is saying that it's a great success story balancing out the ecosystem of Yellowstone. So they go after the sick and the old. Yeah. So, <laughs> Why are you looking I, at me? No, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not sick. I, no, I'm just saying I, I'm not going to wander too far from the car now that I know this. <laughs> No, I I would not suggest that. Um, And of course, another site that is seen frequently in Yellowstone would be the bears, both black bears and grizzly bears. We've seen a few grizzly bears. They're they're not super easy to pick out, but it is always a thrill Mm -hmm. to see them. We've only seen them from the car, which is a a better thrill than coming upon them on a hiking trail. Uh, But the park has about 150 grizzlies within its boundaries, but in the greater Yellowstone area, so outside the park boundaries, but in the area, there are another 500 grizzlies. So I suppose they could just kind of wander in and out and the population would fluctuate. And then there are five to 600 black bears in the park. Which means always carry bear spray. Always, always. Always. On one visit, we were staying in Gardner, the little town to the north, and we checked into our hotel and we unloaded all of our the stuff from our truck. And then we went into the park. And our first stop at Mammoth Hot Springs Visitor Center, we talked to a ranger and asked him 
about what hike we should do. And he suggested Bunsen Peak. And all of a sudden, it dawned on us that our bear spray was in some luggage that we had left in the hotel room. And so we said to him, you know, we don't have our bear spray with us for that hike. We probably don't need it, do we? And, and he said, yeah, yes, you do. Yes, you absolutely need it. Absolutely. I think the park's stance on this is you need to have bear spray with you anywhere Yes, you're, you are in the park. Any, anywhere. Mm-hmm. There, there could be a bear. So I know that there are people who poo-poo the idea of bear spray and say, oh, you don't need bear spray and you'll be fine and bears don't want to bother you. But if you've ever come across a bear on a trail – that would change your mind pretty quick. If you need it, it's really, really good to have it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's very inexpensive insurance mm-hmm. in case. And there there have been people who, who've been attacked in the park and or threatened and the bear spray has turned uh, what could have been a very dangerous situation into just a interesting story. Yeah. When we were just there and we got the map – and the newsletter at the entrance station, they had a bright yellow piece of paper stuck in there. And the headline said, Yellowstone is a very dangerous place. So I think the Park Service is doing a really good job kind of getting the message out that this is not Disneyland. Right. And everyone needs to be responsible for themselves. Um, you know, carry bear spray. Be careful around the thermal features. Um, don't mess with the bison. People are always messing with the right. bison. <laughs> Right, between the <laughs> bears and the bison and falling into a hot springs. Uh, mm-hmm. You need to be careful in, in Yellowstone. You do. So if you're looking for lodging options, there are quite a few hotels and lodges inside the park. Now, those are usually hard to get, and I think they start booking up at least a year in advance. So that's an option. There is camping in the park, obviously. And then if you get nixed out on all that, there are a lot of hotel rooms in the little towns surrounding the park. Right. And mm-hmm. and like we said before, West Yellowstone has it's probably the most built-up city mm-hmm. close by, has a lot of motels. The lodges in the park are cool, but like you said, they, they book up fast. We've stayed at Old Faithful Inn several times. Love that. Historic. We've stayed at Mammoth Hot Springs. So it's it's kind of – depending on when you go and how far in advance you can plan mm-hmm. that kind of uh, dictates what your lodging options are I like we like the little town of Gardner we uh, do it has quite a few motels as well mm-hmm. and like we've always said if you didn't plan ahead and now you're finding yourself a week out or a few days out keep trying these places because we have had a lot of luck with last minute cancellations you got to be very flexible with your time but you know keep trying because mm-hmm. uh, you could get a cancellation right and we've also stayed in Cook City they have some cute little motels and cabins and we've stayed in Cody Wyoming which is just outside the uh, east entrance not very far yeah so, and, Re- and Red Lodge is Red Lodge Montana mm-hmm. is not not far it's on the other side of the Beartooth Highway so you'd have to go up over that and it, that's really only practical maybe July August and September mm-hmm. uh, but that's another Another option. Right. Okay, so now that we got a lot of that out of the way, let's talk about some of our favorite things to see and do. So we'll start at the north end. As we said before, just coming from Seattle, we like to always go in the north entrance, go down Highway 89, 
and stay in Gardner or stay in Mammoth Hot Springs and come in because you come in through that Roosevelt Arch entrance, which to me has to be one of the most spectacular entrances to any national park. Yeah, it's a it's a cool arch, uh, and it gives you a, a real sense of history of, of the park. What, that arch was completed over 100 years ago, 1903? 1903, right. Yeah, so almost almost 120 years. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a spectacular-looking arch. You you can kind of mill around the base of it. You can kind of go inside the little doorways on on either side and give you a sense of the history of, of that structure. Right, and it's engraved in the stone. It says, for the benefit and enjoyment of the people. And occasionally, we've seen photos... There are bison that sometimes congregate around the arch. I've even seen one where a bison is walking through the arch. And again, those are just photos I've seen. We've never had that experience, although that would be a dream. <laughs> that, that would be that would be photo of the day. That would be for sure. It's on my list. A, a bison going through the arch and a bison in front of Old Faithful. Those those are on my list. So anyway, um, just but yeah, even if you don't go through the north entrance, I think it's fun to just drive up there to take a look at it. It's a beautiful arch, and then. Of course, the road's going to put you in uh, the Mammoth Hot Springs area. There is a lot going on in Mammoth Hot Springs. Yeah, and that can get um, a little crowded. Mm-hmm. With people and with elk, that there are a ton of elk that are usually hanging around up it there. It seems like the elk like that area, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Right by the uh, visitor center and, and the... Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel. Yeah. In the past, we've seen they've had to have a ranger out there full time just directing people and traffic around the elk so that no one gets too close. There is the Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel. That's a really pretty historic hotel. It opened in 1883. And back then, it was called the National Hotel. And we've stayed there. Mm -hmm. We've stayed stayed there there a couple times. Yeah, we've stayed there before. It's a it's a really nice uh, hotel. It was actually the first high-class hotel. That's what they called it, the first high-class hotel built in the park. And it was the first stop for visitors coming to the park because they came on the Northern Pacific Railroad, which stopped in Gardner, and then they would have a horse-drawn carriage bring them to the hotel. So that's kind of cool. It has a lot of history there. And recently, they closed it for about two years, and they it underwent a $30 million dollar rehabilitation and renovation. So now it's open? Mm-hmm. Taking guests? Taking full-time. guests, yes. And there's they have a nice restaurant there too. And so just adjacent to this hotel is the visitor center and what they call Fort Yellowstone, which are the barracks that the army used to live in back in the late 1800s when they were patrolling the park. And it's very cool to see these buildings. It's interesting there by the visitor center, that road that that kind of goes off the visitor center, because it has, like you said, the old buildings are still preserved and it's uh, now what, uh, park staff housing. Mm Mm-hmm. But it used to be army barracks, right there, and you you really get a, a sense of the history there because there's they have some trees that are old and the, the architecture's old, and it, when you look at it just right, it it kind of takes you back to what this might have looked like a hundred years ago or even more. And uh, I know they have online on the Yellowstone website and. 
probably in the visitor center as well. You can get a map of what these buildings used to be, and you can walk around outside and look at them. And it's it's beautiful. Now, they are employee housing today, so they ask that people not knock on the doors and try to go or inside look in the or look in the windows because because rangers are actually living there. Uh, and then some of the buildings are administrative buildings. There's a big post office. There's There are all kinds of things there. But it's just such a historic area. And these old stone buildings, I, I just love going up there every time I get goosebumps when we go up to the Mammoth Hot Springs area. And that's before we even go to the Mammoth Hot Springs Terrace. Right. So just up a couple of blocks further south of there, then you have the terraces and they can get crowded. Again, the boardwalks are wide and there's more space. There's an, there's enough space there. Again, if there are people and you're trying to social distance, you can, you can do that pretty well. Here's a tip though. The parking can get very crowded around the hotel and the first couple of pullouts for those hot springs. But if you go down the road, about what, maybe another mile, mm-hmm. and it feels like you're going south and you're heading towards Yellows or heading heading towards Old Faithful, and you're leaving the springs. The road curves back around and ends up at the top of the hot springs, and there's more parking up there. So you can you can park up there, and now you're at the top. Now, of course, you have to walk down the stairs to to see all the features, but that's a, a little bit of a overflow parking tip. Right. So all those things are great to see. I'd say it's probably a half a day's worth of activity if you go up there. Now, still to the north, we've talked about the Lamar Valley, and that is probably my favorite area of the park. And there, it's funny, there are no... I don't want to say that there are no bells and whistles, so that there aren't really any geysers up there or anything. But what it is, is it's just wilderness and wild animals and beautiful and creeks and rivers and trees and mountains and I think our car or truck whatever we're driving just automatically turns left <laughs> there and heads towards the Lamar Valley mm-hmm. every time we come in into the park now the Lamar Valley itself is kind of in the northeast but there's a lot of distance on that road be- between Mammoth Hot Springs and Lamar Valley which is very interesting as well. Oh, the and, whole drive is beautiful. And bison can be anywhere mm-hmm. along that that stretch. So there's no reason to, you know, drive quickly to get to that that area. The whole place is interesting and we have seen wolves and grizzly bears in that stretch mm-hmm. uh, before you get to the Lamar Valley. Right. If you want to see wolves, they say the Lamar Valley is the best place, and especially at dawn and at dusk, probably not in the middle of the afternoon, although you never know. And it does seem like the crowds, a lot of the crowds don't make it up to Lamar Valley. So and and it's a long, long stretch of road, and it just never seems to be annoyingly crowded when we go up there. Right. There's a lot of space. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And if you keep going, you'll like we said before, you'll get to the northeast entrance in Cook City in that area. And up there is where we've seen black bear several times mm-hmm. up there. And we've seen uh, moose almost every time we go up there. Yes, we've seen, we've seen moose, moose. Along, mm-hmm. the, along the road. And uh, we even recently were in Cook City, which is outside of the park. And we were driving through 25 miles an hour and there was a bison right in somebody's front yard. <laughs> 
So the, the, the eating an, the grass around his mailbox. Animals uh, don't necessarily respect the park boundaries. They just go wherever they want. So you can sometimes see bears and bison, you know, in and around the park. Right. I was thinking to myself on our last trip, we didn't have much time, and the park was so crowded that we stayed stayed on the very north side, Lamar Valley and Mammoth Hot Springs. And I was thinking to myself, if if this were the entire park, if this were Yellowstone, just the north side and Mammoth Hot Springs, it would still be an amazing park. You could you could have the rest of it just cut off and you, I would still think it was spectacular. That's how much I love it up there. Now, we've mentioned the Beartooth Highway several times, and I think that that might be just a whole nother podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But that's that's a cool, that's the highway that then leads northeast out of Cook City and away from the park. So uh, again, cool area, interesting stuff to do up there, but that'll have to be a whole nother podcast because we need to get to the other we do. S- we do. A- areas of Yellowstone. All right. So moving on to the more central area of the park along the west side of that Grand Loop Road. One of, I think, the, well, maybe not one, maybe the absolute most spectacular spring would have to be Grand Prismatic Spring, don't you think? That's my favorite. Yeah. And for our first few visits, we didn't really even know what it looked like (laughs) because you see it, if you see it from the boardwalk, you're so close to it, you really can't get the perspective. And we used to see these photos of this rainbow-colored spring that that were taken from aerial view, from like airplanes. Mm-hmm. And we never knew where that was until fairly recently. We started seeing some photos. People used to climb the hill up behind Grand Prismatic and climb through the trees and get this photo angle of the spring is spectacular and and it wasn't a sanctioned trail the park service didn't want people up there so the park service finally decided well so many people are going to go up there we might as well just build a trail Mm -hmm. and now you can hike to to an overlook and it's it's a spectacular site it is we'll be posting some photos of that and so yeah it's a short little hike up less than a half a mile you look down and you can see the circles of color and the bright yellow and, and blues and reds. And it's so phenomenal because, as Matt had said, before this trail went in and we w- looked at it from the boardwalk, there's usually so much steam that's coming off that's blowing in your face that it obscures the colors and you can't see what you're looking at. That's happened to us every single time we've been on the boardwalk. So the Grand Prismatic Spring is located in Midway Geyser Basin. So you definitely want to go there. There's there's some other geysers also in that basin that are cool to see, but the like the crown jewel is Grand Prismatic Spring for sure. And with any of these tips, go to a visitor center first, talk to a ranger specifically where do I park? Mm-hmm. How, do, how do I get there? Because sometimes those details change. Absolutely. And I know when we were there two years ago, I read that they were eliminating the parking lot that we parked in. So that's a really good point. I would definitely talk to them. The, the main parking lot for um, Midway Geyser Basin can get very crowded. So, so definitely get some info on that before you head over there. Well, we always, uh, when we're over in that area, we go to the visitor center at in the Old Faithful area, which right. is Old Faithful Geyser is the ultimate thermal feature in the park. It's the ultimate. And I would say 
if you're only going to see one thing in the park, let's say you're driving through and you can only make one stop, that would be my recommendation of the stop because you've got a couple of really cool things to see while you're there. And of course, the main one is Old Faithful Geyser itself. It's how it got its name by being faithful to the, its schedule. It, it erupts about every 60 minutes, but sometimes that time can can go as long as, as 100, 110 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you're there and it hasn't gone off, it's maybe an hour wait at most just to see it. Right. And the nice thing is that the Park Service can predict really closely um, as to when the next eruption is, and, and they post it in several different places. So you can pretty much know when it's going to go off next. And if you have a wait... I would highly suggest you walk the boardwalks. So this area is called the Upper Geyser Basin. These boardwalks are wrapped around what's the largest concentration of geysers in the world. And they're all really fun to look at. And we've done those boardwalks and stood 20 feet away from a geyser and just looking at the interpretive sign and what the heck is this? And it, it goes off. Oh, that was beehive, yeah. beehive geyser. And, it scared the crap out of us because, yeah, all of a sudden we were reading and it went off and we were soaking wet. It was actually really fun, though. It's an active area. Mm, definitely. So you have that. And then also right in that area, not every time, but most of the time there are bison in and around mm-hmm. uh those thermal features. So that's that's interesting to see. And then, of course, you have Old Faithful Inn that's yes. right there. Mm-hmm. Which, again, we've talked about this a couple of times, and we did the whole Our Favorite National Park Lodges episode, which we talked about it. But uh, definitely, even if you can't get a reservation there, go in and take a look at this place. Um, it was uh, It opened in 1904, and it's the largest log structure in the world. It's a beautiful uh, mm-hmm. structure and really gives you the feel of being in a national park. It does. And that lobby, you know, it goes up 70, what did I? 75 feet. Yeah, 75 like feet. Uh, there's a massive stone fireplace. They have kept a lot of the original furnishings. It is just incredible. Definitely check that out. So, you know, when you have... Old Faithful Inn, Old Faithful Geyser, and these boardwalks that you can walk and see all these other geysers. There's just a lot of really great stuff packed in right there. And because there are so many great things there, it, it can get crowded. So mm. one tip is if you can go midweek, great. If you can go early, that's good too. Mm-hmm. We have seen it at sunrise and at sunset. The crowds are much less. The tour buses haven't come in yet. And it's fun to see both of those at that time of day because it's a pretty spectacular show. So another thermal area in that same neighborhood is Norris Geyser Basin. And that has Steamboat Geyser, which has been in the news a lot lately. And we have never had the chance to see Steamboat Geyser go off, but hmm. uh, it's it's on the list because it's starting to get active. Yes. It's the world's tallest active geyser. I guess it shoots water up more than 300 feet. For years and years, it wasn't dead, but it was a dud. <laughs> it didn't do anything. <laughs> it, it, it didn't do much. It had about one major eruption a year. Yes, if that. And then in 2018, it finally came to life, and they had 32 eruptions. And in 2019, they had 48 eruptions. People were going nuts. 
And in this year, 2020, they've had what, maybe 10 yeah. or so? They've had 10 so far. I guess the the phase of the water shooting up can last anywhere from three to 40 minutes. And then they said there is a steam phase that can last for days. And I guess it makes a really loud roaring sound, the sound from the steam, and they can hear it as far away as the campground, which is like several miles away. So that would be fun to hear too. But I think it kind of sends people running when it goes off. No, it's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Sure you want to be standing like underneath it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if this is uh, any indication that Yellowstone's getting ready to blow. Actually, I did look that up because I, I think a lot of people are worried. They don't want to go to Yellowstone because they think that there's going to be a major eruption. And so scientists have been looking into it and they said there are no signs it's about to erupt. Even though the caldera itself is is about the size of the state of Rhode Island. Yes. And they said that the volcano would probably give warnings for decades before it blows. Like uh, the steamboat geyser <laughs> becoming active. It does that, kind that, of seem like a warning, that, doesn't that it? That would be a sign. <laughs> but it was funny because when I was reading about the eruptions, it said, so all of those recorded instances, they said, those are the eruptions that people saw. But of course, if it goes off at three in the morning and right. there's no one there, they don't record it. But it seems to me that nowadays you would have the science to know when it goes off, even if no one is standing there writing it down that it went off. You could put a trail cam out there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Just like the ones I put in our backyard to catch the raccoons <laughs> stealing stuff from us. Anyway, when you get the park map, there are all kinds of really fun things labeled on the map that are on this west side. There are mud pots and all kinds of things. And really, they're all great to stop at if you have the time because they're all fun to see. That central west side, that is the concentration of thermal features. Mm-hmm. That's the main concentration. Now, moving over to the east side of this Grand Loop Road, I think another one of our favorite things to see would be the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, which is the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone is about 20 miles long, and it can reach depths of about 1,000 feet. And that uh, the Yellowstone River that comes through there at the top – what would that be? That would be kind of the west end of the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. It it creates a waterfall mm-hmm. as it's coming down into the canyon. And that's interesting. Uh, we Several times when we visited there, we would look at it from above, and we weren't that close to it. And then we realized a couple trips ago that you can actually go on the other side of the river and there is a hike that, that takes you down. There's a staircase that leads you down to almost the base of the waterfall. Right, right. And that's called Uncle Tom's Trail. It's a, it's a metal staircase that you um, walk down. Uh, 328 steps and 500 vertical feet will take you down to the base. And that's really fun to do. Now, it has been closed Gosh, I think for at least two years, I believe they are uh, doing some safety improvements. But when it reopens, we would definitely recommend that. 
I guess there was a former Bozeman, Montana resident who was called Uncle Tom, and he built a trail into the Grand Canyon back in the late 1890s. The National Park Service actually granted him a permit, and he would ferry tourists across the Yellowstone River, and then he'd take them down the South Rim to the base of the Lower Falls. They'd have a picnic and then hike back up. But I guess Uncle Tom had ropes and rope ladders, and they say it wasn't for the faint of heart. You know, it was pretty scary. I guess guests could tumble, you know, right off the <laughs> yeah. canyon walls down into the river. And so when we did it, you said it's been closed for a couple of years. That's about when we did it a couple of years ago. So it's, mm-hmm. I wonder if there were safety issues. With, I know. <laughs> but it's uh, – uh, I, I don't know what it's going to be like when they reopen it. But it, it, it was a nice, solid steel mm-hmm. uh, staircase. Yes. It, it did not seem sketchy at all. But even if it's closed, there are other viewpoints you can look at. Now, the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone actually has two falls. There is the upper falls, which is um, over 100 feet, the waterfall itself, and the lower falls is over 300 feet tall. You can take the North Rim Drive, which is a one-way road that will take you to four different viewpoints. You can get out of your car and look over. And then the South Rim Drive leads you to some views of the Upper Falls at Uncle Tom's Point, which is where you access this trail, and also Artist Point. So even if Uncle Tom's Trail is still closed, uh, you should definitely go check out the the North Rim Drive, the South Rim Drive, look at all the viewpoints because they're all different and they are all spectacular. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. So another great wildlife area would be the Hayden Valley. Tons of bison there as well, and also a lot of traffic jams. I remember we've gotten we've gotten stopped quite a few times just because it's a more heavily trafficked area than Lamar Valley. And you can get these traffic jams anywhere in the park if all of a sudden wildlife comes mm-hmm. across the road or comes close to the road. People have a tendency to just lose themselves when they see wildlife, and and I. Totally understandable, right, but you know, right. people will stop in the middle of the road. And uh-huh. um, but it's it's worth a traffic jam if there's wildlife by the road that you can see up close. It is, and you know, I used to get so annoyed by it, and then I realized that you see these these families and these parents who. They want to show their kids what a bison is or a bear. You know, they probably live in cities and they're they're so excited and they're we all need connection to these wild creatures and these wild places. So, uh, I hope I've developed a new level of patience when when people stop and they get out of their cars and because I do think it's something that we all crave and it's actually kind of cool to see to see all these little kids excited um, but that being said I before we forget I want to remind everyone it would be really good to invest in a good pair of binoculars right. to bring to Yellowstone right we have forgotten them a few times <laughs> And with with a good set of binoculars, again, you can just sit at a pullout, and even though the animals are 100 to 300 yards away, you can sit there for hours and mm-hmm. watch them. And, and they don't always come close to the road or come close to you, or binoculars help bring them right up close. Mm-hmm. That whole drive is beautiful over there. And of course, you'll go um, over Dunraven Pass. Mount Washburn is right there. Now, we have always wanted to hike the Mount Washburn Trail, which is about seven miles round trip. But every single time we've been there, it's been closed. And I think it's closed now. 
Yeah, and it's given that it's at elevation, it's probably a fairly short window mm-hmm. uh, to do that trail anyway. Uh, so yeah, well, I just keep it on the list and try to get up there. Yeah. But this last time we were there, that uh, that's actually that section of the road leading up to there was was closed. So if you get a chance to go over Dunraven Pass, that's a pretty spectacular drive. It is. It's one. It's one of the few drives in the park where you're going up in elevation and you really get a sense of the park below you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's absolutely stunning. Further south on the east side of the park, you have the beautiful blue Yellowstone Lake. And sitting on the edge of Yellowstone Lake is another gorgeous historic hotel, the Yellowstone Lake Lodge. So that's a beautiful spot to see as well. And it's a good area. Uh, Also, they have a little general store, so you can get uh, Mm -hmm. supplies if you're you're just passing through. There's a uh, place to get ice or snacks or or something. And that's a beautiful hotel. We've been there several times, but we've just always looked around. We've mm-hmm. never stayed there. Right. It's a big uh, veranda. You can sit out and look at the lake. It's 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 really lovely. And again, it's it's a historic uh, lodge. Mm-hmm. It's It's been there for a long, long time. It has. Now, the lake itself is 20 miles long and covers about 132 square miles. It's at a high elevation. It sits at about 7,700 feet. And it's the largest lake at high elevation in North America. Lots of recreation going on there. We see people boating and fishing and all kinds of things. And it's still within the caldera. So it has some thermal features yes, over I, there. Right. I've seen photos of um, the West Thumb Geyser Basin. I don't believe we've ever stopped in there. But no. the photos I've seen look beautiful. So if if you happen to be going by Yellowstone Lake on that side of the park, I would definitely stop in and take a look at that. Now, another question we get besides, you know, what do we love to see in the park? People always ask us, what hikes should they do? If you followed us at all, you know that hiking is the thing we like to do the most. And a lot of times when we hike, whether it's in Yellowstone or anywhere else, we're hiking for the scenery. And oftentimes there's a destination that we're hiking to. And we haven't really done a lot of hiking in Yellowstone for one reason is there are so many incredible things that you can see that you don't even have to get out of the car, right? right? I mean, they're right along the side of the road. And so I think we're spending a lot of our time doing those things instead of hiking. And it's a, like we've said, it's a wild park. It has large mammals, <laughs> bears, bison, wolves. And I think if you hike in Yellowstone, you need to be extra careful mm-hmm. of the wildlife. Be aware, carry and, bear spray. And never hike alone. Never hike alone. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I, we just, we haven't done a lot of lot of hiking in in. Yellowstone. Well, and the ones we've done, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, they've been okay. They haven't been such great hikes that I would recommend them to people necessarily. We always, in whatever section of the park we're in, we always ask a ranger for that area. And so we've done some ranger recommended hikes that have been, uh, we've done Bunsen Peak, we've done Fairy Falls, we've done Mystic Falls, we've done Slough Creek. And they're fine hikes, but they're not... As Matt said, the the whole park is so spectacular, you don't have to hike to an area to see something spectacular. So I think I would recommend spending time on the Grand Loop Road 
going to all right. the pullouts and seeing all the spectacular things that are marked. With the exception of the Grand Prismatic Overlook Trail, which is not very long. It's, oh, it's, yeah. It's, that's... Depending on where you park, it's maybe, what, a mile one way? Right. So two-mile round trip. That's that's definitely a hike. But that that's a hike worth doing because of the overlook. Right. Absolutely. Those are the high points for us of Yellowstone. We keep going back and we keep discovering new things. So, you know, we'll probably have some new things to add at some point. But I think the thing I love about Yellowstone, and you hit on it earlier in the in the podcast episode, it still feels like a wild place like it did hundreds of years ago. It does not seem like they have tamed it. And it's such a unique place with the wildlife and the thermal features. It's like another world that's sort of dropped into this little pocket in Wyoming. Right. It's definitely unique. And we never tire of going back. So I hate to call something my favorite because there are so many other incredible national parks and lands, but certainly at the top of of our list of favorite national parks to go to. Definitely, in all seasons. It is time for mailbag. Yes. On today's mailbag, we're going to talk about a question that we've actually gotten probably at least a half a dozen times since we started doing this podcast. And that question is, why didn't we narrate our own audiobooks. So the, the stammering and the forgetting of words <laughs> and the uhs and the so's and the likes, all of those things that we say, well, <laughs> barely could get a podcast episode recorded. And people are still asking why we didn't narrate. Well, that's because our producers, Jonah and Annie, edit out all of our stumbles. So people don't know how, how bad, bad we, we are. really are. Ba-dee, 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 ba-dee. Yeah. <laughs> it would because it would have taken three years that's right. to narrate one of our books. So Tanter Publishing, who came to us years ago offering to do our audio books, we actually did ask them if we could narrate them ourselves. And they very, I think, hesitantly wrote back that we could audition to narrate them. We could send them a tape. And then if they thought we were good enough, we could go to their studios in L.A. for a week and record our book. That was basically that was how no. it worked. Yeah, that, so, so that was a, that was uh, a polite no. Yeah. We did sort of practice reading for an hour or two, but when we had only gotten through one paragraph. Yeah, one, yeah, one, one page. <laughs> one and we page. Didn't, we didn't do that one very well. You know, it's tough. It's really, you need a professional. I, I mean. And the good news is the narrators or actors, voice actors mm-hmm. who do the books, David and Susan, do a fantastic job. They do. They have. Narr- they do it so much better than we could. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, they have narrated a lot of books. And what we thought was really cool is that David and Susan are also husband and wife in real life. So we kind of thought that they'd get some of our, you know, our back and forth teasing and, you know, they'd kind of have a relationship like we do. We've emailed back and forth or I've e- emailed with David a few times. And I had to admit that of the, what, four books? Now that, that he's narrated and, and his wife, Susan, does the parts that you have written in the books, I think we've listened to a total of three minutes I know. of, of all the, the, whatever, 60 hours of the books. We just cannot listen to our own writing. 
No, it's too painful. No, we can we can hear every mistake and we would be rewriting it as we listen and it's it's just too painful. So they it's no it's no re- reflection on them mm-hmm. their their quality of narration. We we just can't. We can't hear, listen to our own books. No. No, because then But we... everyone else should. <laughs> <laughs> Please, yeah, please. But, yeah, so that's kind of – that's also how we do advertisements. This is why we've only sold four books in the last uh-huh. couple of years. But yeah, we need to rehearse that script a little bit better. But anyway, we think David and Susan did a fantastic job, and we're really happy that they narrated our books instead of us. Also, kind of the one cool thing that also came out of this is that as we were emailing back and forth with them, they told us that – They had never gone to any of the national parks until they read our books, literally read them out loud, of course. And so now they bought a National Parks Passport book and they're starting to visit some of the parks. So, you know, that's kind of that's kind of a cool thing, too. Yeah. If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobandss or you can find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith. We'll review all the questions that come in and we'll be answering some of them in our mailbag segment on future episodes. To see pictures from our adventures in Yellowstone, go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com and click on the title for episode 15. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to other information. So many of you have given us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, and Matt and I cannot thank you enough. And just a reminder, if you listen to our podcast on a different podcast app like Google or Spotify, you can still leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. As always, the books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. Our show is produced by our amazing team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon, who, as we said previously, takes out all the ums and likes and does. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. Oh, now Will West, that's a great name. Yeah, but you would have to be Wilma West. But no, no, I take that back. I still like butter. I know you do.